Good morning, Journey. Man, I'm so glad y'all here on Vision Sunday. Welcome as we kick off our new year together. You know, it was six years ago this weekend that our church gathered for the first time, or that more than like one person gathered to be a part of our church. I had five couples and two single folks over to my house um, that I just bought, and I took an hour just to kind of lay out for them the vision that God had put on my heart um, for a church in this community that would exist to help impact lives and change lives and that would exist to serve the community well. And I asked those those families if they would help me. I said, I think this is what God's called me to, but I can't do it by myself. Will you help me? And they said, we absolutely will. At the end of that night, we got on our knees for the first time together, 15 of us, um, to pray and to ask God to help us. And before we got on our knees, I took an umbrella and I opened it. Uh, I had a seminary professor who once told us when it came to prayer, he said, listen, Anytime you pray for rain but fail to carry an umbrella, you're telling God you're not really serious about what you're praying for. So he said, never pray for something that you then don't go prepare for. So this weekend, six years ago, we prayed for the first time that God would allow us to have a church in this community that impacted lives and that served our community. And we began to prepare for nine months that people might come. And nine months later, when we opened our church, man, they started coming and they haven't stopped. And last year, we saw the greatest year of people coming to be impacted by our church that we've ever had. I want to invite you to reach into your bulletin and to pull out your sermon notes because at the top of your sermon notes, there's a link to our 2016 annual ministry report that will allow you to celebrate all that God has done in our church this year. Now, that link doesn't go live until one o'clock. And you say, why is that? The reason for that is if that link was live now, you would spend the rest of this service looking at the report rather than listening to the message. At least I would if my phone had good enough internet connection. So I, I want you to, be a, to, to have the opportunity to go celebrate with us what God has done, uh, but only after we cast the vision of what we want God to do this year. Um, I do want to share some highlights with you, though. As, as we move into 2017, we look back at 2016, and then we feel so blessed. Um, last year at our church, 431 people made spiritual decisions to commit to follow Jesus or to recommit after a time away to follow Jesus. 431 people that at our church said, you know what, I need to get engaged or re-engaged spiritually. 56 people were baptized and when they were baptized, shared their story with the world of who Jesus was to them and why they wanted to follow him. We had 19 parent-child dedications last year, 19 families that brought their kids to our church and said, listen, it's our goal that our kids grow up and know who God is and know that God loves them. So we want to work with your church to help us help our kids understand who God is and how God loves them. We sent 25 people on foreign mission trips to Guatemala and to Kenya. And as a church, we invested more than $178,000 from the offerings that you so generously gave back out into our community, into global missions, and to help start new churches around this city and around the country so we could continue to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And that's just a little bit of what God did. Um, He also gave us this building, which we feel so fortunate to be in. Two years ago, we brought to our church um, the possibility of building a building. And we, we said this, after four years, we feel like our next step of making a bigger difference, more impact in our community for Jesus is building a building. But if you don't want a building, we don't want a building. And we prayed that God would allow our people to pledge and give a million dollars 
towards a building. They not only pledged and gave a million, they pledged $1.5 million towards a $5 million building that we were going to build. Um, and when our banker saw that number, he said, man, that's great. He said, you can anticipate about 80 to 85% of that money coming in. That would be huge. When we hit 90% of the money that had been pledged already collected, our banker told us, your church has given more towards their pledges than any church we've worked with since the recession of several years ago. And when we finished at 99.7% of the money that was pledged was already in the bank account by the time we opened our building, our banker called us and said, when do you want to build the next one? Um, And we said, not for a while, please. But the generosity of our church to be in this place is just unbelievable. Um, Our church in the last year has nearly doubled in attendance since this time last year. We had hundreds more people engaged in volunteering, in serving our community, in groups last year than any other year that we've ever had. And our giving last year increased by over 35% from any year that we've ever had. I mean, to say that God has been good to us would be an understatement. But to say that God has been good to us because of what I just told you would slightly miss the point of what our church is all about. If we focus just on like the big numbers of the organization, we miss the entire point of what we're all about because six years ago when I met in my living room with those families, we didn't have a heart to build an organization. We had a heart to build people. We had a heart to reach individuals and build them up in their faith. And if enough of them came that something bigger happened, that was awesome. But our goal then is like our goal this year. We want to reach and build people, not churches. You heard Pastor Ryan earlier mention the mission that we are pursuing. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. And the numbers I've, I've just given you, those are real good markers that tell us like we're on, we're on the right track. We're not lost. If we ever have a year where no one makes a spiritual decision, where nobody is baptized, where we don't send anyone on a mission trip and we don't give any money away, you can know we're lost. We're off mission. So those numbers are important, but they're not really the focus of our church. Our mission remains people. And on Vision Sunday, we celebrate our progress from last year, but we really focus on people. We, we celebrate our progress by celebrating you because you are the ones who invited your friends who made decisions, and your neighbors, and your coworkers, and your teammates, and your classmates. You are, some of you are the ones who made decisions. You are some of the 431 people who engaged or re-engaged spiritually. We celebrate you because some of you got to see a family member baptized, or you got to get baptized last year. We celebrate you because you went on a mission trip, or you helped somebody else go on a mission trip, or just by giving, you supported nearly $200,000 of money invested into missions. We focus on you as a church. Which leads me to this question on this day. How are you doing spiritually? I mean, honestly, if we could just kind of like pause for a minute. How are you doing spiritually? How's your heart? If we could take your spiritual kind of pulse. Strong, weak, flatlined. How are you doing spiritually? If you could look at 2016 and you could sum up your 2016 years spiritually in one word, what would be that word? Some of you have had the greatest year of your life spiritually in 2016. And some of you had the most difficult year of your life spiritually in 2016. How are you doing spiritually? Because that's our concern. You are our mission. I want to challenge you to think about that today. And to, by the time you go to bed tonight, to look at 2016 and and brand it. Give it a word spiritually. 
And then I want you to look at 2017 as we now face this new year. And I want you to look at the reality of 2016 opposed to the hope of 2017. And I want you to give yourself a word for 2017 as well. I want you to brand 2016 with what it was. And I want you to call 2017 by the hope that it can be. And here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to share this with our church. I want you, if you have any type of social media, to go to your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, whatever. And I want you to post your words. I want you to hashtag it, JCI one word. And next, next week, I'm going to come tell you what people see their 2016 as spiritually as opposed to what they hope their 2017 is spiritually because I believe purpose is important. It's why as a church, we've said that the year 2017 for our church is going to be the year of fully alive. Not one word, two. I apologize, we cheated. But our goal for you this year is that this year you would live more fully alive than you've ever lived before. That this would be the best year of your life. That this would be the best year of your marriage. That this would be the best year of your job. That this would be the best year of your parenting. That this would be one of the strongest years of your finances. We're praying that this will be the year you live more fully alive than you have ever lived. And Jesus tells us how to pursue that goal in Matthew chapter 6. If you, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Take your notes so you can follow along. If you have the JCI app, you can go into the app and everything that's on the screen, you'll have in your hands so you can take notes and follow along. But in Matthew chapter 6, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest recorded sermon probably given over several days. We probably have the Cliff Notes version within the Sermon on the Mount, probably much longer sermons over much more detailed things. But Matthew records for us and puts together Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this material that Jesus gives. And a big part of that in Matthew chapter 6 is how to live life the way God wants you to live your life. Can you honestly look at 2016 and say, I live the life I think God designed me to live? Can you look at 2017 and say, I don't care about living the life God designed me to live? See, today we find ourselves between what was and what can be, focusing on what Jesus says should be. And here's what Matthew chapter 6 says, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus, I can tell you how in every moment how to live your life fully alive, not focused on the past, not focused on the future, but how in every moment to live your life fully alive. But Jesus says, you're going to have to trust me in this because Jesus says, I'm going to tell you how to live fully alive, but at the same time, I'm going to tell you why you don't. Like that's what we just read. We just read both Jesus' plan for us to live fully alive and all the reasons why we never attain to that. But my goal today is to teach you how to cut through what Jesus says are obstacles to living fully alive so that we can live the life that he wants us to have. Now, how do we live 
fully alive? How can we attempt to live fully alive this year? Well, it depends on two things that we find from Matthew chapter 6. One, it depends on your belief system. If you're taking notes, you might write the word worldview. You see, to live fully alive, you have to believe that God takes care of stuff. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Like, do you believe God takes care of stuff? So that you don't have to worry about things tomorrow because God's got it? So that you don't have to worry about things next week or next month because God's got it? Do you have a belief system? Do you have a worldview that allows you to be fully alive in every moment because you trust God for your future? See, the key verse of this text is Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You should underline that if that verse isn't underlined in your Bible. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, here's the secret to living fully alive. Put God first. Establish God's kingdom in your life first, and then you'll have everything else that you need to live. Jesus says, here's how you live fully alive. But before he says that, he gives us eight verses that tells us why we never get there. And you know what the main object of those verses is? It's worry. Jesus said, we never get to where we put God first and we live fully alive because we're just so concerned about the other things in our life. What, what do we worry about? We worry about food. He tells us not to, but we, we do. Like we worry about providing for ourselves now and in the future, right? We worry about clothes about money, about our house, etc. We just we worry about life. Can we just like put it all in there? We just we worry about life today. We worry about life tomorrow. We worry about life 3 years from now. Um, and Jesus says when you live your life always focused on all these things. That's what he calls them. But it's interesting how he describes all these things in verse 32 because he says all these things are everything in life except for God. Look at verse 32 one more time. He uses a word that's not really derogatory. It's just descriptive. He said, the pagans run after all these things. You know what a pagan is? A pagan is someone who doesn't believe in God. A pagan is someone who's, who's godless. And Jesus said, when you live your life focused on everything in life but God, well, you're acting like I don't even exist. And you're living your life for all these things rather than me. And here's what Jesus said. One, if you live in pursuit of all these things, everything in life but God, you're going to miss God. That's what he said in verse 32. If the goal of your life, if the focus of your life, if the contemplation of your life is always on all these things, you're going to pursue it and miss it, and you're going to miss God too. But Jesus said, number two, if you'll live in pursuit of God, you'll find God, and you'll receive all these things too. It's like a two-for-one deal. In December, my son Christian and I were, um, had to go out and buy him a, a collared shirt and a tie for his football banquet. Um, and we only keep like usually one collared shirt and tie around at a time for him. And he had outgrown his old one, so we had to get a new one. So we ran to JCPenney to get Christian a collared shirt um, and a tie. And we got him a collared shirt, we got him a tie, we took it up to the register. And the lady at the register said, do you know that if you buy one shirt, you can buy another one for a penny? And I said, like, like J.C. Penny? We were at J.C. Penny. He's like, no, like one, like one cent. You can have another shirt for one cent. And I said, well, what's the catch? And she said, there is no catch. And I said, there's no way you can give me a shirt for a penny. She said, actually, we'd like to give them away for free. We need to get rid of inventory, but we got to charge a little bit. So if you buy this one, you can have another one for a penny. Do you want another one? And I said, sure. How many can I get for a penny? She's like, well, you got to buy one to get one. Okay, so I'll take one for a penny. 
But she said, if you buy this one, you get this one too. Jesus is saying here, if you pursue Jesus, like if you pour your life into pursuing Jesus, you'll get all these things too. It's a two for one deal. It comes with it. But if you live your life pursuing all these things, not only will you probably not ever capture to a way that settles your heart in peace all these things, but you'll miss God along the way too. You say, wait a minute, Christian, you're telling me that if I pursue Jesus first, I'll get everything else too? That's what Jesus is saying. And if that's true, some of you are going to look at your 2016 and your word is going to be, whoops, because you spent 2016 pursuing everything but Jesus and not only did you not get that, you really kind of missed him last year too because our life revolves around the wrong things. And it revolves around the wrong things because it's driven by a belief system that the Lord will never show up. You can't count on him to ever show up to take care of things. As I was preparing this message this week, my kids were home for, from school. So I sat them down because I, I do all my kind of deep message preparation from home so that I'm not bothered and I'm not used to having two teenagers in the house. So I sat them down and I said, listen, I'm going to go downstairs to meet with the Lord and get everything ready for Sunday. So I said, if you fight, figure it out. Figure out what TVs you're going to watch. Don't come ask me what foods you can have. Don't come yell at me about what she did or he did. Like, just kind of mind your own business. Leave me alone. Behave. I got to go meet with the Lord and get ready for Sunday. And they were like, all right, Dad, got you. So I went downstairs. Um, and a couple hours into that, um, the doorbell rings. And I hear my kids racing to the door, not because they're hospitable, not because they want to help, not because they ever care who comes to the door, but because all Christmas season long packages have been being delivered from grandma and grandpa and friends. And they're like, there's a package at the door and maybe it's a present for me. So they race downstairs. I hear them get to the door. They're not fighting. They kind of open it and shut it. So I yell upstairs, who, who was it? And Christian says, it's the Lord. And I thought, yeah, ha, ha. And I said, seriously, who is it? And Casey said, the Lord has come to save us. And I said, listen, you little sacrilegious punks. What, like, what is it? And they were like, it's just a baseball bat. Like Christian had a baseball bat that was delivered that one of our friends got us. Um, but, I, you know, I literally, when they said that, I said, it's not the Lord. Who is it? Some of you have a mindset that whoever shows up in your life, it'll never be the Lord. Like, you don't have a belief system that when something needs to be right on time, the Lord will ever show up. And Jesus says, if you're going to live fully alive, you've got you to have this belief system that every now and then the Lord does show up. And he shows up right on time and he shows up every time. And you can trust him. The only way you can live fully alive is if you have a belief system driven by the thought that God takes care of things. And we believe God takes care of some things, right? We, we hear about the birds. God takes care of the birds. Yeah, that makes sense. God takes care of the flowers. Yeah, God takes that. That makes sense. But Jesus says, look at those things and realize God takes care of you. So I want to give you some 2017 goals for this year. I, I want to challenge you to become bird brain this year. Because Jesus said, look at the birds. They're not worried about God taking care of them. Be more like them. I want to challenge you this year. Become a flower child. God says, look at the flowers. They're not worried that God's going to take care of them. Become more like them. Jesus says, become bird brain. Become a flower child. Become less concerned about all these things. Not because they're not important, but because you're more convinced that God will help take care of that if you will pursue him. It's a belief system that says God takes care of stuff, and that means God takes care of me. But we ask the question, how can I develop this belief system? Well, it's a belief system 
that's built on number two. It's a belief system that's built on relational trust. And Jesus will speak to this in Matthew 6 and 7, and he speaks to it very specifically in John 10.10, 10, where our verse of the year comes from this year. What we find out about relational trust is you won't ever trust God more than you know God. And the reason some of you struggle to trust God is because you don't really know God. Outside of like just sitting in church, you don't have this personal knowledge and personal bank of experience with God showing up, so you don't trust God because you don't know God like that. One of my counselors is a, is a pastor who's been helping me as, as we've built our church and, you know, as our church has, has grown into what it is, you know, he, he keeps trying to teach me, Jimmy does, how to give away more and more ministry to, to people who will be better at it than I am. And he told me, he said, Christian, your problem, um, he said, you think you have a control problem. You don't have a control problem. You have a trust problem. Because he said, we, you, you always worry most about what or who you trust the least. Like that's just a life principle. You always worry most about what you trust the least. When we apply that to Christianity, it says that Christians who are always worried about the next meal, the next year, their health, the kids, the thing you worry about most is the thing that you trust God with the least. So Jesus says to grow fully alive, you've got to develop this relational trust with me. You know, our fully alive theme verse this year comes from John 10.10. Jesus used it in a conversation he was having with a group of spiritual leaders of his day. And here's what he said about what he came to do. In John 10.10, he said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. I've come that they may have abundant life. I've come that they may be more fully alive. I've come to give them the best life they can possibly have. And all of us say, well, that, that's awesome. If Jesus came for that, I want that. But Jesus drops down four verses later and he says, you can't have this verse unless you know me. Four verses later in John 10, 14, Jesus says, I want to give people life that's more fully alive. However, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep who have this life and my sheep know me. You don't get this type of life unless you know Jesus and you have some relational trust with him. You cannot live fully alive without connecting deeply with Jesus. So if we want to live fully alive in 2017, we have to have an intentional plan to connect deeply with Jesus in 2017. You say, okay, well, I, I guess that makes sense. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, to seek him first and then everything else would come because if I don't know Jesus, I can't know this life that he calls life to the full. Exactly. Because we won't trust who we don't know and we can't know somebody we don't pursue relationally and that we don't pursue personally. Do you know you, you can't know God through my personal experience? I mean, you can understand a little bit, but you only will know God as much as you personally experience him and you will only personally experience God as much as you are willing to step out in faith. And the pursuit of faith is hard. It just is. Doing things the way God says them is hard and sometimes you even second guess yourself. I was looking through our annual report this week that our team put together, and I saw that since our church has started, we've invested $640,000 in global missions, local outreach, and church planning. And you want to know the unspiritual thought I, I had because God's trying to stretch my faith? I thought, man, that $640,000 would look good against our loan right now. That might help us kind of get to the next stage of ministry a little faster. And God says, no, 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 no. That, that's mine. That first 10%, which became 12%, that, that's mine. 
And Christian, the faith lesson you learned is so much more valuable than, than having a smaller building loan. No, it's, it's faith and the experience of faith that will help you with that. Do you know that on December 11th, our finance team met? We have a finance team, of, a volunteer finance team that runs the finances at our church. And they proposed that since God had been so good to our church that we took the 12% that we invested in local outreach and global missions and church planning and that in 2017, we moved that to 15%. And on December 19th, our elder board met and they approved a budget and that this year from today's offering, really from last Sunday's offering forward, that the first 15% of what you give, not the first 12% of what you give, is going to be invested back out into the community, back out into global missions, back out into church planning. All of you clapping should do the exact same thing. Increase your giving by 3%. Like, shut up, Martha. Like, stop clapping. It's like, right? (laughs) How come it's so easy to celebrate the faith of others, but personally with, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, it's good for you to take a step of faith, but that's kind of between me and God. Listen, you can't grow through someone else's faith. So Danielle and I have been challenged. We're like so many of you. We... You know, we grew up in church. We learned to tithe very, very early. When we as a church went from 10 to 12%, Danielle and I said, we're going to go from 10 to 11. This year as our church went from 12 to 15, Danielle and I said, we're, we're going to go from 11 to, to 12. How many of you who faithfully tithe have ever even thought about giving more to stretch your faith? I'm afraid for so many Christians, your tithe has become a line item in your budget, but it's totally disconnected from faith. And it doesn't stretch you or grow you at all. Like you don't have to give the minimum amount that God requires. Why are we excited that our church is giving more? Because it's like, oh, that's, something's happening there spiritually. Well, what about in you? Some of you are just starting in church, and when the offering came around, you, you've given here for the first time in your life. You give $10 faithfully every week, $20 faithfully every week. We couldn't do it without you. What if you'd go to 15? What if you'd go to 25? What if you would say, because I want to pursue Jesus, I'm going to have to take a step of faith and just see if he shows up. You know how I knew God would take care of our church if we gave 10% away? We did it for a while, and then we looked back and said, by experience, God takes care of us. And when we went to 12%, I told our team, I don't know if we should do that. You know how I knew God would take care of us if we went to 12%? We gave 12% for a little while. And we looked back and we said, wow, God was faithful. You know, when the elder team voted 5 to 1 to move to 15%, you know what one person didn't vote to move to 15% until we were a little more established? Me. And I got outvoted and they said, no, we're going to do it. And I said, well, what, what if, what if? And they said, Christian, has God ever let us down? No. You know how we know God's going to be there? We're going to try it. We're going to live by faith. We're going to pursue and trust Jesus as a church. And you applaud that until I ask you to consider doing the same thing. You're like, well, not this year. Faith can't be learned through somebody else's experience. It has to be learned through your experience. We get to know God as we pursue God. And we pursue God by taking steps of faith that allow us to flex our faith muscles a little bit. You never set a new personal record on a bench press or a squat or a mile time unless you're willing to fail with something you've never done before. You've got to flex your faith muscles to go forward. And this year as a church, we've got to become super intentional about our faith if we're going to live fully alive. So how do we seek the kingdom of God? How do we put the kingdom of God first in 2017? How how do we do that? I want to give you three real practical ways, and then we'll be done for today, and I'm going to give you a few tools as you leave. Number one, if you're going to seek the kingdom of God in 2017, you have to put God first. Now, that sounds spiritual. We say, okay, what what does that mean? Let me give you some practical things 
to put God first. Number one, I, I want you, A, to prioritize worship services. I want you to give some time in your week to church. Let me ask you a question. What if there was a pill that you could take which would improve your physical and mental health, significantly lower the risk of death by 20 to 30% over a 15-year period, that would stabilize your marriage, that would give you a greater sense of meaning, that would, get, that would lead to greater civic engagement, that would give you more social support and give you greater hope for the future. If there was a pill that you could take that would give you those things, would you take it? Because for the last 20 years, a group of Harvard professors have been studying what happens to people who go to church every week versus people who don't. And Harvard professors in the health and resources department, not the religion school, have said over a 20-year period, people who go to church every week have improved physical and mental health. People who go to church have a significantly lower risk of death over the 15-year period. Their marriages are more stable. They have a greater sense of meaning. They're more involved in their community. They have more social support in their life. And they overall just have a greater sense of hope for the future because they go to church. You see, putting God first, you say, man, that's giving God a lot. God pours a whole lot more back into you if you'll put him first. Do you know that through our church, you never have to miss a message? Literally everything done from the stage is uploaded to the internet. Do you know last year we had 20, over 24,000 media plays of what happened at our church, which means nearly 500 people a week were engaged in our church through the internet and through the app. And like I talked to my mom, and she's a Christian, I, there's no way I watch more than 20,000. So we have at least 4,000 people that, you know, watched one of our messages. From 30 different countries, 24,000 people in 30 different countries are watching church. So you never have to miss a sermon that's given. You never have to miss the spiritual truth. But we know people are busy. So we're trying to figure out how, if worship is so important, how can we get it to a busy group of people? So starting next Sunday, when we have church, you'll be able to watch it live anywhere that you are. Sitting on the ball field at 8.30, your church starts at 8.30. We're going to begin live streaming our services next Sunday. Every time we meet, you'll be able to literally sit at your kids' ball games and watch church live. You'll be able to sit on an airplane flying home and watch church live. You'll be able to stay home with sick kids and be able to watch church live from the worship experience through the entire sermon. Why? Because we believe worship is important and we want you to be engaged. Now, if you're in town, we want you to come to church. But if you're waiting between swim meets and you've got a free hour on a Sunday morning but you can't get all the way back, tune in. Make worship a priority this year so you can put God first. And another thing we're gonna do this spring, because we've learned we have so many people that work so many Sunday mornings and we have so many people that coach and are in charge of club teams and stuff and season ticket holders, we're this, this spring gonna start a Sunday night service for people who can't make Sunday mornings so that Sunday nights they can be a part of a church service. I believe we have people who come to church about 20 times a year who will be able to start coming to church about 40 times a year if we have a Sunday night option because they'll be able to finish all the stuff in the morning and come to church too. Why are we doing that? Because we believe it's important to put God first. Secondly, I want to challenge you, letter B, to spend daily time with God. If you're going to put God first, you've got to spend a little bit of time with him every day. I am amazed at the desire of our people to spend time with God, but they don't know how. 
Like Christian, I would lo- like I would love to spend time with God every day. I just don't know how. I don't know what to do. I've been amazed at the desire, and I've been inspired to give just simple direction to our people. So as you leave today, we've put together a Bible reading plan for the you this year, which may or may not be in my stack of papers, that starts tomorrow, that if you will read 12 minutes a day, every day this year, we've got a Bible reading track laid out for you. Starts tomorrow, it goes to January 8th, 2018, and it will give you basically the ability, good direction on how to read the Bible, and then on the back, we put a few questions, ask these three questions every day, a chance to connect with God every day. Why? Because we believe Christians should put God first. And then we believe that we all need help, letter C, developing an internal belief system. So on the back of our Bible reading plan, for the first time, we've put some scripture memory challenge verses for you. And we've actually got a link down here under this where you can go home, click on this link, and we've already made flashcards for you, memory verse flashcards that you can print out and carry around with you so that this year you can start putting some of the word deep down inside you so that when you begin to doubt, like I often begin to doubt, God can begin to minister to you without needing a preacher or a Bible, just what's inside of you will begin to speak to your heart and your mind. I believe if you'll put God first, you'll experience all these things because Jesus said so. Secondly, I believe you need to put your family second. And and they could almost be 1A. When you look at the plan of God, the first things that God created in the Garden of Eden were a connection with him and a connection with family. And I believe God wants you to focus more on your family this year than you have ever focused on your family before. And I don't believe to put family second is out of order because I believe if you put God first, you'll be a better husband. I believe if you put God first, you'll be a better parent. I believe if you put God first, you're going to be a better sibling. I believe if you put God first, you're going to be a better son or daughter. I believe if you put God first and then you put your family a close second, you'll begin to live fully alive like God wants you to. Next Sunday, we start a series called Mood Swingers. It's all about finding emotional health in 2017, because you, you know what I believe? When we live in this world that leaves us on this emotional roller coaster, always moody, you know who really gets punished the most when we're not emotionally healthy? Our family. We just have nothing left for them. We spend all of our good mental energy in other places and we come home and our family gets nothing. It shouldn't be that way. So I'm going to start next week teaching you how to free up some emotional margin for your family. And then the Sunday after Easter, we're starting a series called Family Strong all about setting up goals and boundaries so that you can have the family that you believe God created you to have that just seems so slippery right now. It slips through the cracks as we pursue all these things. I believe if we put God first and we put family second, we'll we'll have a life that's more fully alive than it's ever been. But then number three, I want to challenge you to develop a spiritual family. Jesus gave us this concept in Matthew chapter 12 when he was asked about his family and where they were. And Jesus said this. Jesus replied to him who asked the question, who's my mother, who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my brother, here are my mother, and here are my brothers. Jesus basically pointed to a group around him and he said, this is my spiritual family. You know, I used to sing a song growing up in a real traditional church, an old hymn that said, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the... Yeah, so we got some Baptists in the house. Glad you're here. I mean, we, you know, we sang that every Sunday. You know, well, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I had no clue what that meant when I was young. But now that I live eight hours away from my nearest relative, I understand what spiritual family is. And I'm so glad that, I, that I'm a part 
of a spiritual family because I've got spiritual brothers and sisters in this city that are here for me like that. I've got spiritual moms and dads in this city who are here for me. I've got spiritual sons and daughters that I can hang out with. God has given me a spiritual family and I don't know that it's possible to live fully alive without a spiritual family. So I want to challenge you this year. You already heard Pastor Ryan say it. You've got to get engaged in group life. You've got to begin just putting some spiritual feelers out to find your spiritual family. Let me tell you why. It's important for you but it's important for the person that needs you. You are someone's spiritual sister and they're waiting on you to step into their life because they need you here in this city. You are someone's spiritual brother and they need you to get engaged in their life because they need some brotherhood to help them be who God has called them to be. You are someone's spiritual father. You're going to meet some young man or some young lady that you can begin to mentor. You are someone's spiritual mother. You are a part of the greater spiritual family and you need spiritual family. So get involved in group life. We've got serve groups that you can connect with every Sunday morning. We've got connect groups like you've heard Pastor Ryan mention, men's and women's and couples. We've got adults. We've got young adults. We're getting ready to start an old-fashioned Sunday school class for those of you who are used to coming to church and then going to a Bible study. We're going to fire one of those up at 1130 because we want to connect people to people. We've got care groups like Pastor Ryan mentioned, divorce care. We've got people who have volunteered to lead grief care if we need that. We've got spiritual family that wants to take care of one another. We're starting a whole different kind of groups called grow groups. It's just for people who want to go deeper in their faith. They've got a lot of friends, but they want to go deeper in their faith. You can sign up for a serve group, a connect group, or a grow group today and start into that in 2017. And some of you have your spiritual family outside of our church, which is great. Don't join a group just to be in a group. Some of you have it at your club. Some of you have it at your job. Some of you are part of a running club, but you've got spiritual family. Men, thank God for that. But if you don't, This is the year to find spiritual family. You know, when you read how we live fully alive and you see what it looks like, you see that some of us are going to have to change our priorities this year to make these three things, God first, family second, finding spiritual family third, a priority. But Jesus says, if you will pursue those first, everything else will be taken care of. The question is, do you trust him? If you don't trust him, the next question will be, well, do you know him? Or do you know him enough to trust him? And are you willing to spend this year in pursuit of a relationship with him so you can know him, to trust him, in order to experience him? Would you bow your heads as we consider those questions together? Heavenly Father.